Hi, friend, and welcome back to the Purpose Map Podcast. I'm Casey Berglund, your host. Oh, it's so fun to be a host of a podcast. Let me just tell you, I'm loving this journey so far. And I'm also the founder of Worthy and Well. And today we have a special guest on the podcast, Taryn Newton-Gill. Oh, gosh, you know... People who love food are my favorite people. We're not going to necessarily talk about food on this podcast. Taryn's actually a, a love guide and a women's empowerment coach. But I sat down with Taryn in California for dinner. Uh, it was the first time that we were meeting in real life. And we went to this beautiful little Mexican re- restaurant. And we sat down. And, you know, whenever I'm eating with someone, IRL, I'm sort of sussing out like, Hmm, what's their kind of like style here? And like, are they a foodie? Like, hmm, are they a sharer? Do they like to share food? And you know, like, obviously, I can outright ask those questions, but it was so fun because we sat down and it was almost like we looked at each other and I kind of just knew that, like, yeah, let's get the appetizer and the main dish and let's share this and let's get tacos and let's get this. And we just like filled our plate with beautiful food. And I mean, I had been traveling all day. I'd just gotten into California from Vancouver and uh, I hadn't eaten for many, many hours. So I was like starving and uh, it was just so good because we just ate and talked and chatted. And man, there were so many moments where we were like, ah, we should have like hit record during dinner because we obviously got into so many conversations about dating and relationships and love and attachment styles and, you know, all of which you're going to hear about in this episode. Um, And of course, you know, someone's like living in alignment with their purpose or their dharma when they like talk about what they do and are engaged in conversation about it and feel expanded by it when they're like not getting paid for it, you know, like when we're sitting down to eat. So we had this beautiful dinner at this Mexican restaurant and I don't know, spent a couple of hours talking about all the things, um, many of which we kind of go on to expand upon in this episode, which if you haven't caught on already, it's really about how to not lose yourself in relationships, especially as like smart, ambitious, confident woman. And it's not just about that. It's about many other things like how disempowerment can come through living out cultural norms and how those cultural norms intersect with the different attachment styles to create patterns in how you relate with others. Taryn explains attachment theory and the four attachment styles and how learning this theory really changed the game for her in dating and helped her to find and choose a really amazing partner where they're able to build this like secure relationship together. And, you know, Taryn really speaks from experience and embodiment. I actually think, I don't know, you tell me, but I think I've got a pretty good like picker when it comes to podcast guests. I tend to choose folks that walk the walk, that embody what they teach. They're not just like regurgitating someone else's wisdom. They're taking in information and really integrating it in their system and living it and then guiding from that place. Taryn is someone who is an embodied teacher of attachment theory and is really good at what she does when it comes to guiding people through issues in love. Anyway, so we have dinner together and immediately we're like, oh yeah, I knew that we'd be friends. We took our online friendship to a whole other level in person. 
And we had planned beforehand to record a podcast episode afterward. For both of us, it's the fir- it was the first time recording like in the after hours, late in the night. <laughs> I'm usually kind of a grandma after 8 p.m. So recording this episode that you're about to listen to at like, I don't know, 9.30 p.m., was a different vibe. And you'll notice that. We um, picked up a bottle of wine after our dinner. And, you know, I don't drink too much these days and enjoy a little taste of wine, especially shared in good company over a good conversation. So we went and picked up this bottle of wine and I saw a sign across the street from the liquor store for a psychic. Neon lights illuminating the whole street like that open sign, you know what I'm talking about. And I look at Taryn and I'm like, let's go. We got to go to this psychic. And we were kind of like, do we have time for this? It's already like 9 p.m. and we want to record this episode. Anyway, we run across the street. I buzz. There's like a little buzzer on the door, like an intercom type of thing. This woman answers only to claim that she's closed for the evening and forgot to turn the lights off. And then I look to my right and I see this sign on the window that says, uh, psychic in love, call 227 love. <laughs> oh my goodness. This feels like kind of synchronistic based on the conversation we're about to have. And Taryn looks at me and she's like, I'll be your psychic case. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And we hop back into our car and head to the hotel room that I booked for the evening and set up our equipment. And we hit play. And that's what you're about to listen to. I will say because there, you know, is a bottle of wine involved and because it is later in the evening and in some ways, like my witching hours anyways, I think Taryn's too. You may notice that there's a bit of a different tone to this episode or that it gets a little more casual and fun as we move through it. And make sure you listen all the way to the end because Taryn does kind of do a bit of a psychic reading for me. And, uh, I guess we use it as a manifestation moment. She's helping me to call in my partner, I suppose. And, you know, she kind of nails it. So make sure you listen into that. Now, there's a couple things that I want to mention in this intro that I think are really important. So there's a point closer to the beginning where Taryn speaks quite generally about how one's culture, race, gender identity, ethnicity, sexual preferences, etc., how how these various elements play into how one's attachment style plays out. And as you listen, you'll notice that the stories and experiences shared authentically in this episode are more from a gender normative, heteronormative place. And it feels really important to acknowledge that. And I suppose for me, as someone who cares deeply about, you know, I care deeply about exploring my own truth and I want to experience all of life's juiciness. And I know that my dharma, my purpose in life is to embody love. It feels important for me to tell you that, like, I've been in romantic and non-romantic relationships with men, which is obvious from this episode, but also, and this is less obvious, but also with women and non-binary people and trans people. And I've also explored polyamorous relationships in addition to monogamous relationships and have had romantic and non-romantic relational experiences with people of various races and cultural backgrounds. And so, I literally cannot speak for anyone but myself, and I especially can't speak for folks who have very different lived experiences, but I do feel called to say that I believe that this framework of attachment theory 
applies to all relationships and it's wisdom is universal. And actually like a little side note, if you have a unique perspective that's not normative or an interesting lived experience that you'd like to share on the podcast, don't ever hesitate to reach out and pitch me. I can guarantee that more people need to hear your story. And I think it's really, really important to share stories and examples from a variety of different types of people with different experiences. Okay. Yeah. So Taryn, you're going to meet her shortly. We had so much fun in this conversation. And oh, I forgot to mention, there's a part like in the latter half where we completely lose track of what we're talking about. Taryn's like talking about how how women are biologically more intuitive. It's a very interesting part of the conversation. And then we kind of go down this rabbit hole and then she finds herself being like, wait, what was I saying? And then I'm kind of like, oh my God, Taryn, I was so present with you that I've lost track. And there's kind of an awkward pause and a moment where I think to myself, oh, you know, I'll get Dale, my amazing like podcast editor genius to like just cut this part out. And then when I listen back to it, I'm like, you know what? This is about authenticity. And we're just going to leave that little blip in there in the recording. And uh, you'll know you'll know what I'm talking about when you get to it. Anyway, she picks up right where she left off and we continue exactly where we need to go in the conversation. So I'm so excited for you to tune in, especially if you feel like you got your shit together and in most areas of your life. But like love feels like a thing that's kind of like, huh, why is this part hard for me? You know, this episode's for you. Um, here we go. I'd love for you to meet Taryn Newton-Gale founder of Truer Love. Taryn. (laughs) AC. I just love that you're here with me in my hotel room in Venice, California. And we're going to dig right into some relationship talk, some attachment style business. Basically just an extension of dinner. Yes, an extension of dinner. And... I feel like there will be some magic that will take us in whatever direction we need to go. I have no doubt. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. I've been noticing this thing. I notice it in myself. I've noticed it in myself as a pattern. (laughs) I see it in my clients. I see it in my, especially those who identify as strong, independent, ambitious women, Mm -hmm. where they set dreams, set goals, take action, move toward creating the vision that they see for themselves. Okay. And they also want to be in a relationship. I also want to be in a relationship. I feel like I can speak from the eye and from the perspective of these clients and friends. And then a relationship happens and it is fun and exciting and goes well. And then there's some point where it's like they, we, I, shrink, Mm -hmm. start to lose myself, lose the ambitious part, question, doubt, wonder what's right and what's not right, or if I should stay or go. And it takes up so much mental space that I, we feel exhausted. Yeah. And I just want to like put that on the table as a starting place. Mm -hmm. Like, How much do you resonate with that story or see it in your clients? Hmm. I definitely resonate with it. I definitely feel like I experienced it back in my single days, my single lady days. And 
I think it's a very common theme in clients as well, though my work with my clients is very much focused on noticing the patterns that will lead to that and encouraging them to either speak up and change the dynamic of that relationship or cut it off. So I provide them with hands-on help for this issue. So I don't always see it in them extending out further than maybe it could without me, I guess, which sounds very self-congratulatory, like which I'm not supposed to, but just, it just, I'm very, you know, encouraging because I see those patterns. Right. You know, but I do think it's, it's a thing for sure. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it that <sighs> could take this whole episode. So. Right. Okay. You know, kind of figuring out how I want to or how we want to approach and, you know, take a stab at that. I guess I could just say the first things that come to my head in general broad strokes, and then we can go more in depth with them. So first of all, as we know, I study attachment theory. I live in attachment. And for those of you who are somewhat familiar, just a little, you know, short definition is that it's the study of how humans bond in intimate relationships. And I honestly... I think animals all have attachment styles too. I think most mammals probably do, but definitely humans at the very least. And attachment explains a lot. And it definitely explains a lot about that dynamic, especially for women who have anxious attachment styles. Mm-hmm. And I, and we can talk about what that means when we say someone has an anxious attachment style. But the reason I specifically point out women who have anxious attachment styles is because there's a lot of layers that make up our identity, right? Where we're from culturally, right? And what that culture believes is okay and not okay and teaches us about our role as women or people, our roles about communicating, things like that, right? That's going to impact our relationships. Our identity, our race is going to impact our relationship, all the messages we get about that and what's okay and what's not. Attachment to me is one of those layers, right? It influences the other things. It, it maybe doesn't stand on its own all the time, but it has an impact. And I think there's a really interesting intersection of women or people who were raised as women or identify as rem- women and people who have anxious attachment styles because it's this place where the two disempowered feelings come together. And I think that's what leads to a lot of these kinds of relationships because our messaging we get as a woman is to give everything up for someone. Mm. And when you have an anxious attachment style, we're also inclined to let go of our needs and give them up for someone. Wow. Yeah. It's like intersecting disempowerment. Yeah. That's learned culturally, societally in a conditioned way. Yeah. I'm curious if you could share a little bit more. You you said earlier that you resonate with that pattern or have resonated in mm-hmm. the past. Yeah. And and then there's these like, there's something that you learned that kind of changed things and has allowed you to help other people. Can you tell us a little bit more about your story and that pathway of being maybe caught up in this pattern? Yeah. And then what's the piece that really made things shift for you and how did that play out? Great question. So I'll start back after college. I was really on a high in college. I was directing shows, had a great group of friends. Like I was in a prime, right? Like I was in a high point. And the last quarter of college, 
I learned that a guy who I had met freshman year, who I had always had a little distant crush on, might also have a little crush on me. And very quickly, I felt from grace, I suppose you could say, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do after college. I had gotten my degree in theater and I started out wanting to be an actress. And then it led to me, you know, producing and directing in college. And you'd think I would have just gone back home to L.A., but I had started this relationship and I wanted to see where it went. And since I didn't know what I wanted to do, I remember consciously saying to myself, well, I don't know what I want to do, so I'll just follow him to his hometown in Sacramento, California, where there's so much for me to do there, right? And, you know, we actually started out staying in Santa Cruz where we went to school and I moved in with him and a few friends of his. And so I was the girl in this like bachelor pad. I didn't have a job I liked and we hadn't been together that long. So I like slowly started just feeling like I was losing myself, but I wanted it to work out. And so we stayed together for a while, it being kind of iffy. And I kept telling myself, well, you know, once we live alone and we're not with these people, it'll be different. Right. We always have that thing like, well, when this happens or if this happens, if just this shifted, that'll change this relationship. Right. So. And it wasn't all bad by any means. We did have fun together. There were certain ways where I understood why we we're together, but we didn't have a healthy intimacy or a healthy way of communicating. And I didn't understand that at the time. And so anyway, skip ahead. We moved to Sacramento. We moved in together. We're together like two years. And I think just as the time went by, I just slowly kept losing pieces of myself. You know, all his friends became my friends. I still connected to my friends who were back home, but on a daily basis, I was surrounded by his world, you know, and it took me being really, really unhappy to finally have us come to this decision that we needed to break up. And and then, you know, I went home and I dated a string of avoidant people, just like he was avoidant. But going home was the first empowering step for me, going home to LA, actually breaking up with him first. Then I stayed in Sacramento for a year and lived with a friend. So that was like a little healing. Mm -hmm. But I knew that that wasn't my city. And so making the decision to go home and then I started pursuing TV and film there. I started pursuing makeup and I started to come alive again, you know, mm -hmm. but I still found myself in these I don't want to say toxic relationships, but very dead end relationships. I dated, you know, a lot of random people who I met on Tinder, people ghosting me, me getting really attached really quickly and not understanding it and feeling like what's wrong with me. My younger sister actually is about to be married for 10 years wow. and I'm getting married in November. So, you know, I was the older sister who wasn't married. A lot of my close friends were married. So it felt like this focus on me, you know, mm -hmm. and I felt like what was wrong with me that like I couldn't make these relationships work. You know, the one in Sacramento was the longest one, but not like it was a healthy relationship, you know, mm -hmm. and then long story short, I heard about attachment theory on some podcasts, thought it was interesting. And then when I was dating, my therapist mentioned the term attachment and I was like, what is that? Can you back up? Because I, I heard the term, but I didn't really understand what it meant. Mm -hmm. And she had me read the book attached with the hearts on it where everyone starts on their attachment journey. I and read it. <laughs> I mean, it, it really breaks it down. Yeah. Well, 
And it's like all these light bulbs went off, you know? But I think that that feeling, even though I left Sacramento, I just manifested it in other relationships because it was a feeling of feeling disempowered. And it was a feeling of betraying myself, you know? And I think that's really how I felt that whole time in that relationship. Mm -hmm. But I was betraying myself because I knew there were things that I wasn't okay with, ways that he talked to me, ways that he treated me, you know, decisions that I made because he liked them, not because I liked them. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a very anxiously attached thing to do when we have insecure attachment or even fearful avoidant people where we sacrifice what we want for the sake of we want this person close to us. But I think that that messaging is only reinforced through these like gender roles, you know, of women are supposed to give themselves to the right. man and give everything. And so it puts us on this path to ultimately losing who we are, losing our sense of self because we want the relationship to work even when the relationship isn't serving us. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. You've used the terms, you've referred to yourself as anxiously attached. You use mm -hmm. them. I continued to date a series of avoidant people. It sounds like you didn't know what that meant at the time, but right. obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> you yeah. can use that term now. And then you use the term like fearful avoidant. And so this might be a good moment to break down for those of you who are listening, who are hearing about attachment styles and attachment theory for the first time, what those are, what those mean types are. Mm -hmm. If you could share a little bit more about the light bulb moment when your therapist was like, you should maybe look into attachment and you did all this probably rabbit hole research. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you learn and why did that impact your life? Yeah, well, I like to say that all of this stuff started naming things that I already intuitively knew but didn't have words for. So I think that's where the light bulb comes off is like you kind of subconsciously understand it on a certain level, but you don't know how to explain it. And for me, that was, I think, well, first of all, let me back up. Back in. I, I get so quick to talk about this style and that style, but I'm going to, yeah, break it down. So there are four styles of attachment. And some people really just talk about the main three, which are secure, anxious, and avoidant. And I'll explain what those mean. But there's a very small percentage of people who are a combination of anxious and avoidant. And I think that they are important to talk about because they have their own distinct characteristics. So I always explain the styles in relation to secure first, because someone who's secure means that they don't have any kind of core wound from their childhood that made them feel that vulnerability was unsafe. They basically were encouraged to express their feelings, to have emotions. Those feelings were acknowledged and they were also taught it's okay to show your emotions and give someone love and also receive that love. So this doesn't mean they're perfect. Secure people have feelings. They get triggered by things, but they're not taught to fear emotion. They're taught emotions happened and we can bring them up and we can talk about them and we move on. You know, by and large, that's kind of that the paradigm that they're programmed with. They generally had warm, secure, attentive parents. Our attachment style forms in the first two years of life usually. That's where the initial style starts to form. And so that's why we say parents. Now it could be another kind of caregiver or, you know, another significant relationship later in life can affect you, but that's where it starts. And then anxious and avoidant are the two main types of insecure styles. And that's because they had parents or caregivers or someone early in life who 
for some reason gave them the message that vulnerability was not always safe. And so what that looks like is maybe they had one parent who was secure and another parent who was insecure. And so that insecure parent wasn't always emotionally available. This is particular to the anxious attachment. That's how it forms, is that they usually have some sense of security, so they long for closeness. But because they have this other parent or figure who kind of goes in and out of being emotionally available, they're constantly anticipating that that other caregiver is going to be unavailable to them. So they work really hard to keep that person interested or to make sure they're not going to leave them. There's this fear of abandonment there, mm. you know? And, and so they become preoccupied with this, like pleasing this other parent. So that's where a lot of people pleasers come from, right? So that's the anxious style in a nutshell. Avoidant is the opposite. So the avoidant person generally didn't feel there was a lot of safety at all. They didn't necessarily have a secure parent. Sometimes they did, but maybe let's say that secure parent was a single parent and they weren't around a lot or they had one parent who was abusive or whatever it is, it depends, you know, but they don't have a safe place to go. So they have to rely on themselves. And so whereas the anxious person kind of looks to the outside, to that parent to feel better, like, come soothe me, come soothe me, because I know you will at some point, the avoided person doesn't have that person. So they go in themselves and learn to kind of process internally and self-soothe, but it makes it very hard for them to express themselves to others. And sometimes they actually don't even feel their own feelings. They just learn that feelings are not safe. And so sometimes, excuse me, so sometimes avoidant people will describe their feelings as numb. Mm. I'm just not feeling anything. I feel numb or I don't know what I feel. You know, they don't have the same access to their emotions because they weren't encouraged to feel them, mm -hmm. you know? And so the fearful avoidant person is this little subgroup of people who are similar to anxious people in that they maybe had some security growing up and so they felt that sense of closeness and they longed for it, but they weren't taught how to, they weren't taught how to deal with it in a healthy way and like the anxious person, but whereas the anxious person will go closer and try to do what we call activating strategies to get closer, the avoidant person uses deactivating strategies where they go off and cut you off and go on their own to feel better. Mm -hmm. And so the fearful avoidant might feel the anxiety that the anxious person feels and the desire for closeness. But instead of kind of pushing themselves on someone, they'll cut themselves off the way an avoidant person does and go like need space and mm -hmm. need to be alone and processed by them. So they're really interesting because their core wound is of betrayal because they usually had two inconsistent parents. So they never knew if they could trust. So all the insecure styles struggle with trust, but specifically the fearful avoidant has this fear that they, they can never trust ever. Like it's like, they're very sensitive. They oscillate a lot. They, they like live in chaos a lot. They're a very sensitive group of people. They can be very charming, but very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And avoidant person and an avoidant person's core wound, I'm gonna say that one more time. An avoidant person's core wound is kind of this feeling of being, trying to think of the phrase, not not good enough, but kind of damaged mm. almost. Like 
they don't think they are good at relationships. They don't think they're good at love. That's why they tend to be hyper-independent. They push it away. They don't think they're going to be able to be intimate, mm-hmm. you know, or feel those feelings. So all of those styles kind of have their own characteristics and they play out differently and then they interact with each other. Yeah. And so, you know, the one I was talking about with my avoidant partners is that there's this very common dynamic between anxious and avoidant people who are attracted to each other, but at the same time trigger each other because they process differently. Mm -hmm. So that's a very common dynamic. So when you learned about anxious attachment and what I'm hearing you say is there was like an identification with that anxious attachment style for you. Yes. And you recognize that you were dating or being in relationships with people who would have more of an avoidant attachment style. When you learned this, the light bulbs went off, things made sense. And then what did you start to do differently? Uh, well, I tried to not date avoidant people. Period. <laughs> ding, which, ding, ding. which I want to make the caveat. Yes. As we were saying at dinner, like I think avoidant people get very demonized sometimes in these discussions because they are very triggering for anxious people. But that doesn't mean avoidant people aren't people you can have a relationship with. A lot of people can. But it's kind of by knowing about attachment, you can understand why that person's being that way and what they need right now. Yeah. And as long as you can live with the fact that they might need something that triggers you in the moment. You know what I mean? And that's really why the light bulbs went off for me when I was learning about it, because I kept being in these situations where I always say I was a baller on the first three dates. Like I was always so charming and easygoing and fun. And like, I just, I could tell they were, I knew they were going to be into me. I could tell they would want to see me again. But then the minute that I would realize I liked them Mm -hmm. is when it would all go to shit and I would start feeling anxious and I wouldn't know what to do. I would question my every move. Should I text them? Should I not? Should I say this? Should I not? And I would make myself crazy and I could never understand what would switch for me. Like I, I noticed that it was when I started to have feelings, but like they didn't do anything differently. Like why was it when I noticed I had feelings? Like, and so when I was reading about the fact that you know, anxious and avoidant people attract each other because anxious people provide a certain warmth, like a certain emotional grounding Mm -hmm. that avoidant people are lacking themselves. So there is a true chemistry that's happening and why there's an attraction there. But because they trigger each other, it can go downhill and get dark very quickly because the minute that I would feel a guy pull away or he wouldn't be as responsive as before, Anything that might mean something it might not, I would immediately get insecure. And the way for an anxious person to feel better is to seek that person out and get reassurance. Yes. You know, because we don't learn to self-soothe. So we immediately say like, what are you doing? Like, you know, or like we start calling them on things or bringing things up and it can become so frantic that it overwhelms the avoidant person who doesn't have the tools to deal with those emotions. And so then they back up, but then that triggers us even more. And so it creates this trap, the anxious avoided trap that just can get so dark so quickly. Mm -hmm. And, and everything that we do ends up being about pleasing that other person and making sure they're not leaving because we're getting this like primal fear that they're going to leave. And I I think that's where the spiral starts to happen. Going back to your original question of when we lose ourselves, it's because it's this 
very primal fear that we're losing the significant other. You know, yeah. attachment is actually a survival mechanism. John, John Bowlby, who, you know, first introduced this concept of parent and child attachment was very inspired by Darwin. And he believed that our attachment system, our hormones of oxytocin and vasopressin all exist so that we can feel close to someone because then we have a higher chance of survival. And that back in the day, the early humans who didn't have these hormones, they ended up dying out more quickly. So we actually, you know, evolved to mm-hmm. emotionally attach to people, not just for procreation, but to form these little family units. So when we are triggered by someone who we think is close to us or who we have formed an attachment to, it's like actual biological primal thing going off in our bodies right. that takes us over. Yeah. So if you don't know what that is, you're going to think it's a million other things, right? Like, yeah. what is wrong with me that this is happening to me? Right. There's something so powerful recognizing the biology. Yeah. And also when you spoke about childhood experiences and caregivers or those who are the primary figures that are going to offer up care and love or not, mm-hmm. or in a specific way. It's like when we put this all into perspective in that way, for me anyway, I feel so much compassion for myself yeah. and my own attachment style because I think of myself as a little baby even, or even honestly in the womb before even coming into the world, my parents had their own attachment styles playing out. And so much of that, though it's not my fault and it's biological, and and though, I, I guess I should say, though it's my responsibility to grow and be aware and raise consciousness around my decisions in relationship, it's not fully my fault that they're there in the first place. And there's something about accepting that, that I think helps me with self-compassion in moments when I'm triggered or I notice my, say, anxious attachment style at play. And also it it helps me to offer more compassion to other people too, because they're biologically reacting and responding according to what their system learned quite young. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about this so much before, how this parallels with like work around the nervous system and polyvagal theory and embodiment, how like our bodies are just trying to keep us safe and protected and are like exactly. kicking us into anxiety or tapping us out because that's a survival mechanism. Yep. But what's so powerful and what I think you share so beautifully in your story is that through being able to name a pattern or something that you intuitively knew, mm-hmm. being able to put words to it helps to sort of validate it, understand it, bring something that was unconscious or subconscious into the light that then helps you to make decisions that are in alignment and are kinder and more compassionate so that you suffer less. Yes. So beautifully said. Absolutely. And that is why I fell in love with attachment theory is because it was liberating for me. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, it it allowed me, it gave me permission to be compassionate to myself when I realized that this pattern wasn't my fault. Yeah. You know, and suddenly it clicked that there wasn't anything wrong with me. I wasn't damaged goods. It wasn't that I didn't know how to have a relationship. It's that I learned this certain kind of patterning and it was playing out. And yeah, now that I can name it and I understand it, that's when I was able to make that more conscious choice mm. and choose a partner who I knew was secure, you know, mm-hmm. um, break up with partners that I knew were avoidant quicker. 
Yeah. You know, when I noticed it more quickly. Yeah. And not get to the point, you know, going back to what you said earlier with your clients, you don't see them get to the point where they're fully losing themselves because they're catching and bringing awareness to the attachment pattern that's playing out and making a choice quicker to avoid unnecessary suffering. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So if you're listening, I have to, I have to just say this (laughs) at dinner earlier today, Taryn and I were talking. There were so many moments where we were like, ah, oh, shit, we should have been recording this. But there was a moment where she she was telling me this story about her husband, Huck, soon-to-be husband, Huck. Are you actually officially? We're actually legally married because we legally got married in COVID, but right. our wedding is in November. Yes, right, right, right. So Taryn's husband, Huck. Yeah. She was gushing about him. <laughs> and then she paused for a moment and she like looked at me and checked in with me and was like, Oh, Casey, I'm just like talking about my wedding and my husband and like all these things that I love about him. And, you know, in short, you were being so sensitive that I'm a single woman and I would love to find a person who's a great fit for me and with an attachment style that works for my attachment style. And yeah, Taryn so thoughtfully checked in with me and was like, does that feel okay? And I was like, yes, can't you see me leaning forward? Because I think that we need examples of beautiful, securely attached partnerships. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier about the intersection of like an anxious attachment style and the gender (laughs) of what being a woman, Mm -hmm. how, how there's like such conditioning that almost normalizes an unhealthy relationship normalizes insecure attachment styles coming together and creating suffering for people normalizes what i said at the beginning like women frankly staying too long in dynamics and you know what we trust our our journey and pattern and you know i should put too long in quotes but it's like normalized to to be in something that isn't secure and Mm -hmm. so what I said to Taryn in that moment was like, please share everything <laughs> always about like this love of your life and this like secure relationship that you're in because it acts as such an expansive model for yeah for those of us who are single and discerning. Oh, that's what I'm going to call it. That's where I feel like I'm at right now. It's like, I feel single and discerning. Like I feel like... I know what I'm looking for from the lens of healthy relationship Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to stick around for very long in something that I can identify red flags in that won't make it safe for me to be who I am. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that like being able to see examples of what's healthy Mm -hmm. and hearing stories about what that looks like and how that goes only helps me to stay in my power and, stay grounded in myself and my authenticity and the the inner work that I've done and be open and ready and present for the type of love that I really want without like turning on myself and making it my fault if I'm not finding exactly what I'm looking for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So let let us talk now about this secure partnership because like obviously you've been on a journey and you've learned some things along the way. Yeah. And you're in a healthy relationship with someone that you adore. Yeah. It's it's a breath of fresh air, I have to say. And, you know, as much as I'm used to it, there's still moments where like, oh, you're really great. But I will say that I have so many thoughts based on all the things you just said. I think that 
discerning is such a good word. And it's funny because it's been coming up a lot for me lately, that word, mm. like in different situations. My sister called me discerning the other day because I couldn't find the perfect color at the nail salon. And I was being very particular. And my mom or, you know, in a more another context where someone's being specific with me, they might tell me I'm being picky, right? right. That's like, but and I, mm, I, I feel is, like this is hitting something. Yeah. I feel like I feel like yes, go down this path. Picky, perfectionistic. Ugh. Those are the things we tell ourselves. And look, there is a balance between giving people more of a chance and being quick to shut them off. Right? Like sometimes we spend too long, and sometimes we shut them off too quickly. And that's a question I get from clients a lot: is this question about discernment? How do I know? How do I know when to stop or when to not? Or and. The truth is attachment, first of all, comes down to consistency. So that's how we actually learn our programming to begin with, how our style develops. How were we consistently treated, you know, or not treated? Mm-hmm. And so when you're dating someone, if they are consistently being a certain way that keeps bugging you, either you have to bring it up and break the cycle and see if that makes a difference. And in good relationships where they're are, they are a secure person or they're open to receiving you, they will hear what you're saying from an honest place and they will make that adjustment. And that re- that conversation will make you feel better. Mm, yes. But if you bring it up to them and they don't acknowledge you, they don't see you, they make you feel bad, they judge you, it feels unsafe, that is a sign that it's probably not going to change, you know, and that that behavior is going to continue. And I think intuitively, women are very intuitive. That also comes down to our biology, actually. I don't know if you know this, but women have four times more anxiety in general than men. Mm. And that is also a survival thing because back in the day when men were hunters, that's a very present focused activity. You have to be very present, right? Whereas women were protecting their young. And so they were always being aware of what was around them and sensing danger. So they were always looking ahead and women are very like focused ahead like we can I feel like that's why we say like we're psychic or we see the future we just we have that sense about us you know mm-hmm. and uh, so I was so present with you I'm like uh-huh uh-huh I'm uh-huh. anxiety okay let's bring it back let's bring it back let's bring it back you were talking about huck I was talking and, about huck. well we started oh bringing huck. up bringing up things with people um, yes. And, the, and it being safely received. Safely received. Yeah. And yeah. And so I think women, we get very preoccupied with that future. And that comes down to a lot of our culture as well as our biology. So we already have that like biological predisposition to be preoccupied with how things are going, to be aware of the future. But I think on top of that, that layer of that messaging that a woman's not complete until she's married. I mean, at least that was the message I got as a single person all those years that I resented so much. That was a really big rough spot for me because I, and I think I rebelled against the idea of being in a relationship to a degree Mm -hmm. and really swayed towards hyper-independence. Yeah. Because I resented the fact that people looked at me like I was not a complete person if I wasn't married. And that's not to say that people don't want men to be married or encourage them or people who are, you know, 
non-binary or on a different spectrum, you know, who are not part of that typical binary. But culturally, there is this thing with women getting married, right? Which Mm -hmm. started back in the day for its own reasons, but has evolved into like this romanticized idea, you know, and it plays to women's biology, that messaging, because we are we do long to connect. We have that nurturing part of us. We have more oxytocin in us. So it's like, look, they influence each other. They're related, you know, but I think it just, it's all leads to being very disempowered when you think I'm not complete without this partner, which I don't think men experience in the same way. Mm. Men might long for a relationship, but I don't think they're receiving the messaging that they're incomplete without it. I don't think that they're confidence and their sense of self is being validated by being partnered in the same way yeah and that is a really damaging message that i think only compounds anxiously attached or insecurely attached women and so coming back to that comment about discerning i think that it's hard to discern when you feel disempowered yes right yes Wow, that that is a line. It's hard to discern when you feel disempowered. Yeah, because to discern means that you trust your own judgment enough. Yeah. And if you don't feel confident in yourself, yeah. you don't feel empowered, you're not going to trust your decision making. Yeah, yeah, holy. And when you're disempowered, you're often not embodied, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If we kind of connect it that way, if you're disempowered, you're not fully existing in your body and i believe that my body is where my intuition lives Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so i'm just making some connections there yeah absolutely it's it's kind of like how when you're triggered right like speaking of embodiment right and when you have anxiety you're very in your head right you're not present you're not in your body right? Anxiety itself, like kind of what we were just talking about with, you know, women back in the day, it's very future focused, right? Yeah. And so by definition, you're not present in your body. And I think that when we're in relationships that don't serve us, it automatically puts us in that place. So we're disconnected from our intuition because we're not embodied. Or, or even if we still have that connection to the intuition, we don't trust it. Yeah. We, yeah. we doubt it. I, I believe that to be true for me anyway. Yeah, I actually think that's absolutely true. It's, and I think that comes back to the confidence to trust ourselves, right? Yeah. I do think women's intuition is always there. But I think that when we feel anxious or when we feel disempowered, there's a lot of justifying that goes on. There's a lot of judging ourselves that goes on. And there's a lot that I think that just makes us not trust or it makes us doubt that intuition mm. and it and it stifles it sort of, you know? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We kind of danced around you telling us about you and Huck. <laughs> because okay. <laughs> I forgot you asked about that. I did. I, and I think the discernment conversation was like, really important even if we sort of lost our train of thought in the moment there like we both did together we were so (laughs) present with one another and then it was like wait where did we go from here yeah but like truly like an example of your relationship with Huck which you would define as something that feels really secure Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you could like take us into 
a moment that feels comfortable for you to share of how you show up for each other that is an example of that security that's different from when you were yeah. anxiously dating avoidant people. Yeah. So I'd say the biggest thing, like broad stroke overall, and we can get granular with it if you want, is that when I was a single person and I was dating people, no matter how well I was consciously telling myself the relationship was going, all of the emotions about the relationship and about the person were being processed by myself. Mm, like, whoa. Yeah. All my doubts, all my excitement, all my fears, like I was afraid to tell them anything. And I find that to be very, very common in my clients that we have this idea that we have to talk amongst ourselves, tell our friends, journal, figure it out, like that we have to make the right move. Mm. We have to figure out what is the right thing to do without that person so that when we go to them, we'll present it in the right way and they won't like leave us or change their mind or, uh, right? That's so perfectionistic too, right? Like, yeah. like, let me be perfect so you don't abandon me. And even if it relates to our relationship, I'll go take it away and figure it out on my own and then come back. Yeah. And we'll go from there. Exactly. Well, because we're, we're taught that we can't show any insecurity, right? That I at least used to get the message that men want women who are confident. Yeah. If you are showing any kind of insecurity, they're not going to want you. And so I can't be honest about having a moment where I feel vulnerable because that's going to turn them away. And the fact is, is that when you're dating avoided people and you take the chance to just show them away. Exactly. And then it just proves your own point. You know, your own, your worst fear. Exactly. And so then it keeps you time and time again, you're in those situations where it proves that to you. And so then it makes you go into yourself more and more. And so what I find is that people are very alone in their relationships a lot. Mm. And that's the worst part. I mean, the worst feeling, that's how I used to feel with my boyfriend in Sacramento is that I'm with you. I'm living with you. I'm sharing a bed with you. And yet I feel alone. Ooh, why? And it's because I was having all these feelings that I either felt like I couldn't share or when I did share them, they were ridiculed or rejected or ignored or whatever. And so you're not forming that intimacy because the way you form that intimacy is by sharing those very scary things. You know, if you think about your closest friends or your closest family members or the people in your life, like sometimes the big blowout fights or, you know, those really scary moments actually make you closer. And in good relationships, that's what they'll do. You know, and you don't feel alone. You feel like we're in this together. We're a team and you create this kind of energy and dynamic that becomes its thing, own thing unto itself, right? You're not just these two separate people anymore. As you would say, Casey, you're co-regulating. It's true. And that's very important, you know, to growth and to happiness and to security. And so I would say that is the biggest difference in my relationship now is that I never feel alone. Never, ever, ever. And Part of that is because he reads me very, very well, but it's also because our relationship is founded on complete transparency and every look is discussed if it needs to be. We don't have to discuss every look, but like we are always in tune with the other person's feelings. And even if we're having a discussion where we don't fully understand, we'll work to understand, we'll work to understand, or we'll say, okay, this conversation is not over, you know? There's an attentiveness to my feelings from him that I never had before. Wow. You know, and that's his security is what has made me more secure. And that's a lot of the time how it happens is that by 
discerning people who can be present with you and are willing to receive your emotions, it makes us more secure because then we actually share our emotions and we're less in our head. We feel less insecure, you know? So I think that's a really big thing is that people are afraid to speak up, especially when they're first dating people Mm -hmm. because that trust hasn't been established. And so there's this fear, you know, that keeps them from being honest. But when you do that, you're actually doing yourself a disservice, A, because you're not getting to know the person and you're not giving them the opportunity to show you who they are. And you're not letting them really get to know you. So, of course, it's not going to go somewhere genuine, right? Right. Yeah, it's like your your masks or your costumes or who you're pretending to be in, yeah. in the relationship rather than your authentic self. And, of course, if safety's not there and if the security right. hasn't been established. Yeah. yeah. And I think that happens a lot. I think that we ego project ourselves onto relationships. I think that we find attractive kind of the things we wish we had in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and we, you know, are trying to be this person we have in our head. And so it's a lot of that's where the self-work comes in first is getting to know ourselves authentically yeah. and, and loving ourselves authentically enough to know we're worth showing our authentic self in a relationship situation. Yeah. Totally. I mean, this podcast is called the Purpose Map Podcast, and it's built upon the Purpose Map Framework, which has everything to do with finding that alignment and sense of connection with who you are and what you're here for yeah. on the inside. And the whole point of it is is about like finding aligned success, inner fulfillment and aligned success. Because without that self-wisdom, self-knowledge, to an extent, like we're always going to be growing till the day we die and like learning about ourselves till right. the day we die, hopefully. But without that, it's like you're chasing something you think you should want or that your attachment style has guided you to want or your trauma or your yeah. patterns or your whatever, yeah. rather than authenticity mm-hmm. being the guiding force of, you know, what you're calling in. Right. And of that discernment and decision-making. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So wow. that's kind of the broad strokes of it, I guess you could say. There's a lot there, Taryn. Yeah. <laughs> like the broad, yes, we could, you could go so much deeper yeah. with Taryn in so many different oh. ways. Here's a moment for that. Like, tell us, tell us how people can go deeper with you and learn some of the minutia of attachment styles? Yeah. Well, really attachment is a process, you know, like anything. It's not like here's point A, here's point B. Okay. I'm going to be secure in a minute. And that's a question I get a lot. How do I become secure? How do I become secure? The way you become secure is by first accepting that you're anxious. You have an insecure (laughs) style. Yeah. And knowing what that means and loving yourself anyway. And I know it sounds trite and, you know, that you could put it in a Hallmark card, but it is the truth. And so I'd say first, you know, what I do in my practice with clients in my one-to-one practice and that I'm, you know, moving towards scaling on a greater level for people, but it's basically first getting clear on what attachment theory is, what style you are. I have a quiz that you can find at my website, truerlove.com. And so that's the first step. You know, you get to know what are my strategies I use. If those are anxious, if those are avoidant strategies, or am I secure? And what are the kinds of people who I tend to date? And I kind of help people identify that. Mm -hmm. And then 
you know, it's it's some shadow work because I like to think of attachment as shadow work because oftentimes it's things that we become ashamed of, mm-hmm. like that we don't bring up in relationships, things that we feel make us needy or too dependent or whatever judgments we're giving ourselves that we've pushed those feelings down. Mm-hmm. And so it's really this process of identifying those things, how they show up personally for you and learning to love them and accept them. And then also simultaneously identifying these patterns in other people and then the work of integrating it. So that's kind of the the piece I think that takes a while and, you know, I, but, but as you do it, you start to see that you respond to people differently. You know, you get triggered differently or you get triggered still, but you notice you're being triggered. You understand why, and you're able to make more of an adjustment. And so my one-to-one coaching, I have, you know, some clients work with me monthly and just, and by monthly, I mean, I see them every week of every month. So, <laughs> so weekly, so weekly, really. Like for month on end. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have monthly packages, but they just renew the monthly packages. Constantly. Right. But my intro package is six weeks. And that's because I think six weeks is the amount of time it takes to really start understanding this work and starting to integrate it. Mm-hmm. And so I really am this kind of, I call myself a love guide and a woman's empowerment coach. But in this context, I'm the guide who is literally there for you, hands-on, to walk you through beginning a relationship or ending one, you know, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. (laughs) But the point is, is that we are able to dissect what your attachment style is and see how it's showing up in your life. But also, I encourage you to keep having those relationships. So if you're not dating, I encourage you to start dating if that's what you want. Because then as you have things come up with the people you're interacting with and you get triggered or something, then we can analyze it together and we can talk about, okay, what came up for you? Why did it come up? And what are some ways that you can deal with this situation and approach it from a more secure way, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it really is each time that you approach a situation differently and communicate just a little bit differently than you did before, speak up a little bit more than you had before. It's amazing the transformation that starts to take place because that's where the self-worth piece comes in. And you start to really subconsciously believe that you're worthy of more because you're actually asking for more. Yeah. And it's really amazing to see that transformation in my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I am working towards actually doing a group coaching. So basically taking what I do with one-to-one clients and making it a group situation because I do find I have a little membership community for all the um, clients who have worked with me. And I find that it's really helpful to be around other people who are going through the same thing at the same time. Yeah, there's a lot of insight that happens from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do specialty workshops and we do group coaching calls and a whole thing. But that six-week session is the place to start and then you would be inserted into all of that. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're guiding people to walk the walk while you're teaching them the talk. Yeah. And exactly. we were talking earlier, what I love about Taryn, what I love about you, Taryn, <laughs> is that you really embody your work, that you aren't just receiving this information about attachment and then teaching it or translating it. You're like receiving it and integrating it in your own system, applying it. You've applied it. You've lived this work. Yeah. And it's from that place that true wisdom is being shared and that you, I would imagine, be able to hold space for your clients in a really compassionate and authentic 
way and help them to make decisions for themselves that feel empowering. Like it makes perfect sense that you're a love guide and women's empowerment (laughs) coach, because I feel like what we talked about earlier around it's, it's from that disempowered state that can be triggered from dating, maybe people who are not supporting your growth of building secure attachment, (laughs) right? That like, that's where everything sort of crumbles. So it's like, yeah, when you're teaching attachment and you're teaching how to love, Mm -hmm. basically, you're also guiding women to become more empowered. Yeah. Well, I call myself both because they are interconnected, right? They influence each other. It's synergistic. For you to have a healthy love, you have to be empowered. Yeah. And that's not to say people who are disempowered have never been in love. I also think that having a secure relationship can make you feel more empowered. Of course. But it's being willing to ask for the things you need in that relationship or know that you deserve it, which can be tricky, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm always trying to reflect that back to my clients. And yeah, it's because I know what it's like to feel really disempowered. And and that confusion where consciously you know that there's no reason for you to feel disempowered. You know you're a badass. You know you're great at this, this, and the other. You know you know you have great friendships. Why do I feel so disempowered in these relationships? You know, and that is such a source of suffering for so many people. That confusion and not knowing what to do about it. And as soon as I learned about attachment, I became all obsessed about it. I was just like, everyone needs to know about this. Yeah. Like you know, this is life changing. And, and yeah, so I really, really try to help clients see things from a more empowered view. And I think that attachment in and of itself is an empowering approach. It's an empowering lens inherently because it teaches us to focus on our own needs, Yeah, you know, and all that messaging that doing things for yourself is selfish or, you know, putting your feelings and emotions out there is selfish or, you know, not what you should be doing. It kind of like, turns that all on its head and it says, no, for you to have a secure relationship, the most important thing and the most important uh, factor in longevity and success and fulfillment is actually when two people both acknowledge their own needs and reciprocally acknowledge each other's Mm -hmm. and work to meet each other's needs and their own every single day, you know? And I love that it's such an empowering framework in that way, you know? It truly is. Yeah. So I think everyone should do it. Even if you're not, you know, in a romantic relationship or looking to be in one, it really extends to all relationships. And or even if you are in a romantic relationship and you've been together for 30 years. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like it's never too late to start learning this stuff. Right. It just yeah. can bring so much more satisfaction and and joy and make you feel more in love. And And I think, you know, so much of the time we're told what we should be focusing on when we're out there dating and when we're assessing a mate. And a lot of that is such surface stuff, you know, like what career do they have? Do they like to travel? What do they look like? Do they want a family? And, and while those things are important, of course, to me, they are not nearly as important as understanding our attachment needs. Like that is what everything comes down to. I was telling you about this marriage counselor Sue Johnson, and she has her own form. It's called EFT. I'm forgetting exactly what it stands. Oh, emotionally focused therapy. And it's her own couples therapy that's based on attachment. 
And her whole thing is literally everything that happens comes down to an attachment need. Any conflict Mm -hmm. all comes down to attachment. And so to me, like building a secure relationship is like, I used this metaphor recently and I really like it, is like the roots of a tree, right? Like if you're going to weather the storm of life together, you have to have strong roots. Mm -hmm. And from there, all the rest just grows. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to do with whether or not you have the same interests or that they're this height instead of that height. You know, like all the things that we write down on a manifestation list that we think are important are actually not the most important thing. The most important thing is how do they respond to you? Can they reassure you in a moment that you're not sure? You know, can you talk to them and feel better after that conversation instead of worse? You know, and these things sound so basic, but they truly are the roots of any healthy relationship. Yeah, they are basic. They are the foundation. Yeah. Yet sometimes we skip the basics. Yep. Yeah. Taryn, you really are the psychic that we weren't (laughs) able to get into earlier. The psychic who left her open lights on 227 love call. (laughs) I really, I really thought I wanted to kick off this podcast episode with a, a reading about my love life from a psychic and the lights were still on, but the psychic's doors were closed. Yeah. And Taryn, you said to me, like, I'll be your psychic. I'm like, all right, let's go back to my hotel room and talk about love. Here we are. But I did read you earlier. I was a psychic when I told your future about the man I see for you. Yeah. When I said, I feel like maybe you should share that again, just in case he's listening. Okay. Yes. I think that's good. Let's call him in right here. All right. It's so, yeah, close your eyes. So... Man, I see you. I see you for Casey. And you are a kind man. You're a humble man. (laughs) Maybe you're an introvert. You're smart, though. You're you're intuitive. You're enlightened. But you don't have to broadcast it, you know? You're woke, but you don't know that you're woke, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're strong enough for Casey. And you want her to shine. You, You see her and... You want her to be seen and you're happy to just be that gentle pat on the back for her to push her along to her dreams while also being happy to live yours out behind the scenes or in whatever capacity that is because she's going to support you too. Maybe you're a little quieter because she needs to be the talker and you love that about her because she brings that out in you, brings you a little bit more out of your comfort zone and makes you feel safe. And you really like the earth and nature and you and Casey are going to sit one day in front of some body of water and you're going to embrace her and fully embody her in your safe space and she's going to know you're the one Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I told Taryn earlier about this vision I have of sitting by some water and this person behind me wrapping their legs and arms around me and me just like leaning back and surrendering and this was like immediately after Taryn told me exactly what she just told you and I was like yeah that's like mm -hmm. yeah yeah nailed it yeah so if you're out there (laughs) I feel like like info at (laughs) worthymail.com email me yeah email me email me on Instagram yeah I'm there sometimes okay Taryn truerlove.com yes at truer love with some underscores in there. Yeah. Then Casey, you are good on Instagram. Yeah. It's underscore truer love underscore. 
As I always say, don't forget the underscore. Don't forget the underscores. Someone else thinks they're true or love, but I don't know about that. No. <laughs> JK, JK, no hate. And take the quiz. That's a great take place to start. Quiz. It's in my Insta bio. It's on my website. It's a great place to start. If you have questions, DM me. I love to chat. I also offer a free clarity call. It's 45 minutes. Ooh. Yeah. So we sit and we talk. You can usually take the quiz first. That's helpful. We talk about your attachment and we talk about where you're having challenges or what you really want to work on in love. And we'll kind of just get clear on some things for you, kind of areas you could focus on and start our conversation there. I love this. Taryn, thank you so, so much for meeting with me. What a delight having you in person to have this conversation. And thank you for sharing your beautiful wisdom and perspective on attachment styles and love and everything in between. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it because you know I could talk about it all day long and I could talk to you all day long. So I hope we do it again. And this is the first podcast I've ever recorded in person. So And also in the evening, it's like as we're recording this, it's 1023 and we have a (laughs) bottle of Riesling opened. And so if this the tone is a little different than when I typically record mornings, you usually record in the mornings too. Yeah. Well, that is why. That's why. Getting the late night after hours version. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, Taryn, I'll see you. I'll see you soon. Very soon. Okay, bye. There you have it, folks. I'm so curious what you learned through listening to that episode. You know, definitely ping me either on Instagram at Worthy and Well, or you can email info at Worthy and Well. I love engaging with you. And when you tell me what popped for you, what just like brought about this resonance, or if you felt like you got permission to be more yourself or, or you, I don't know, maybe gained a little nugget of wisdom that will help you in your relationships. Like, gosh, I want to hear about that. I'm sure Taryn does too. So be sure to be in touch with us because I don't know, there's no point without you, you know? It's so much funner, funner, that's not a word, so much more fun when we have this like two-way conversation going. It's time for you to integrate. Um, I don't know about you, but like, I'm kind of feeling like taking that attachment style quiz of Taryn's is a great place to take a next step. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've like gone down deep rabbit holes around attachment theory and there's another sort of bit of wisdom that you can integrate follow your own curiosity. I say that I think at the end of every guest episode. But yeah, how can you take this one step further? How can you take it one step further and really let the wisdom that Taryn shared land? That's all for today. I can't wait to talk to you next week and maybe in between there if you drop me a line. All right, take really good care. Bye-bye.